It's the 5th of March in the year of our salvation, 2008. And this is Father Z with another podcast. Today, we are going to hear from the CDF, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, and what they have to say about the valid baptism formula. Then we will drill into the question of the substance of sacraments uh, with the help of the late Mr. Michael Davies. On the last day of February this year, a leap year, the CDF issued a response to questions about the use of the proper form for conferring the all-important sacrament of baptism. What was the issue that provoked the response? Well, the Diocese of Brisbane, Australia, had some priests at a parish church who were performing thousands of invalid baptisms. They were changing the Trinitarian baptismal form to things like uh, I baptize you in the name of the Creator and of the Redeemer and of the Sanctifier uh, instead of uh, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Or they might say I baptize you in the name of the Creator and of the Liberator and of the Sustainer. Well obviously what was going on is they were uh, probably under the influence of uh, radical feminism and the desire for inclusive language, uh, taking upon themselves to change the formula, either so as not to offend some people, or maybe they just thought in their pride that they were going to make it a little more meaningful. Either way, what they didn't make it was invalid, and so the congregation had to get involved. And on the 29th of February, we have a note from the Vatican News Service about what the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith said. Let's listen to what the Congregation said uh, via this note on the Vatican Information Service. Made public today were the responses of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith to two questions concerning the validity of baptism conferred with certain non-standard formulae. The first question is, quote, Is a baptism valid if conferred with the words, 
I baptize you in the name of the Creator and of the Redeemer and of the Sanctifier, or I baptize you in the name of the Creator and of the Liberator and of the Sustainer. The second question is, quote, Must people baptized with those formulae be baptized in forma absoluta? The responses are, to the first question, negative. To the second question, affirmative. Let's have a time out here. What they're talking about with forma absoluta here is, must they be completely baptized again, not in a conditional way, but in an absolute way? In other words, you see, by conditional baptism, if there's, if there's a doubt about the validity of baptism, because maybe something was a little bit off, or maybe someone has come from a church which uh, may or may not have a, a valid baptism and so forth, the priest would then baptize the person conditionally. In other words, if you are not baptized, then I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and so forth. Because we can have only one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And so out of respect for the reality of the sacrament, we don't try to baptize people with questionable backgrounds in an absolute way. Instead, we conditionally baptize them. If we have a doubt whether yes or no, maybe it was valid, maybe it wasn't. But if we have no doubt that the baptism they went through was invalid, then we have to baptize them in an absolute way and not a conditional way, leaving out all those extra words like, if you are not baptized, and so forth. Okay, let's get back to the, the that VIS article. Benedict the Sixteenth, during his recent audience with Cardinal William Joseph Leveda, prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, approved these responses, which were adopted at the ordinary session of the Congregation, and ordered their publication. The text of the responses bears the signatures of Cardinal Leveda and Archbishop Angelo Amato, SDB, Secretary of the Dicastery. An attached note explains that the responses, quote, concern the validity of baptism conferred with two English-language formulae within the ambit of the Catholic Church. Clearly, the question does not concern English, but the formula itself, which could also be expressed in another language, close quote. Quote, baptism conferred in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the note continues, Quote, obeys Jesus' command as it appears at the end of the Gospel of St. Matthew. The baptismal formula must be an adequate expression of Trinitarian faith. Approximate formulae are unacceptable. Quote, Variations to the baptismal formula using non-biblical designations of the divine persons, as considered in this reply, arise from so-called feminist theology, being an attempt, quote, to avoid using the words Father and Son, which are held to be chauvinistic, substituting them with other names. Such variants, however, undermine faith in the Trinity, close quote. Quote, the response of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith constitutes an authentic doctrinal declaration, which has wide-ranging canonical and pastoral effects. Indeed, the reply implicitly affirms that people who have been baptized 
or who will in the future be baptized with the formula in question have in reality not been baptized. Hence, they must then be treated for all canonical and pastoral purposes with the same juridical criteria as people whom the Code of Canon Law places in the category of non-baptized. You can see what a serious situation was created by that boneheaded stunt of changing the baptismal form to something those priests personally thought was more meaningful, again, probably under the influence of the stupidity of radical feminism or the desire for inclusive language, yada, yada, yada. But this decision of the CDF reminds us that uh, while not all, not all changes to sacramental forms uh, will make a sacrament invalid, some changes, in fact, do make it invalid. So, rather than run the risk of doing anything stupid and depriving the faithful of the sacraments they really need and uh, which they have the right not to be in doubt about, it's best if priests simply follow the books as they are written and do what they indicate. In other words, priests should just say the black and do the red. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. It was good for our mother. It was good for our mother. It was good for our mother. And it's good enough for me. Give me that old-time now that note about baptism got me thinking about a voicemail I received the other day through the phone numbers I set up in the UK and in the United States. I set up some voicemail numbers through through Skype. And uh, my, as a matter of fact, my Skype address is WDTPRS and a number that you can reach in the United States which by where you can read leave voicemail is 651 314-4554 and a number in the UK is 020-8123-1545 now you can leave voicemail there you're not going to get me go straight into voicemail and I, if you leave a number I probably won't call you back but I do listen to all of the voicemail anyway I digress I had a voicemail uh, from one of the listeners about the validity of holy orders, uh, this time not baptism, but holy orders, the conferring the sacrament of priesthood, for example, or, or diaconate, uh, the validity of the holy orders after the reforms of the Second Vatican Council. And, well, l let's just hear the question. Father, my name is Paul Francis. I live in South Jersey. I was in hand when you preached two summers ago for the Assumption. Uh, question, what does the word really say? Question regarding the ordinal for the pontifical, should say, the pontifical. Uh, I have family members who are dealing with the claims of uh, Anthony Ciccata, of Pius V, and I have two and a half, or whatever he belongs to, regarding the uh, uh, validity of the uh, Episcopal ordinations since 68. Uh, can you refer me, please, to where I can uh, get some information that takes Ciccata's arguments and and takes them apart appropriately, because I 
it's awfully hard to do that uh, by myself, given the fact that I don't have a library uh, and I don't know where Checkout again makes its claims from, and uh, it's, it's, it's causing a lot of rift uh, in the family. Thanks for taking this message, Father. It would be very helpful if you could get back to me. God bless you. That sounds like a kind of a sticky situation. And uh, rather than go into the uh, the odd ideas uh, of the priest, uh, the schismatic priest you mentioned, um, I would recommend to you a sound book by the late Mr. Michael Davies called The Order of Melchizedek. Uh, this is a defense of Catholic priesthood. That's the subtitle of the book, A Defense of the Catholic, Catholic Priesthood. This book looks at the older uh, preconciliar rite for ordination, and also uh, the Anglican ideas about ordination and Protestant ideas, other Protestant ideas about ministry, and it also examines the new post-conciliar books for ordination, uh, both that uh, the ordinal, that's what a, a book for ordination is called, an ordinal, the ordinal of Pope Paul VI, and also the ordinal of John Paul II, uh, who revised what Paul VI did. And uh, this is a matter of some interest to me because I was ordained with the ordinal put out by John Paul II. I was ordained with it as both a deacon uh, and as a priest. I was ordained a deacon by uh, Augustine Cardinal Meyer, uh, who was the first president of the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei. He was my boss. And uh, he had been prefect of the congregation for divine worship and discipline of the sacraments. Uh, and um, we used, of course, the Latin text um, because, it, of course, there was no translation. It was a brand new book. And also, I was ordained uh, priest uh, with that same book, again, entirely in Latin, by John Paul II himself in St. Peter's Basilica. And so I think I'm. I'm one of the only priests that I know ordained with, in, with the new rites, but both times entirely in Latin uh, with the, the most recent book. There can't be too many guys around uh, like me from that point of view. Um, but John Paul II's reform put back into the rite, uh, Pope Paul's rite, some important points, such as very explicit references to the priest's powers, for example, to... Uh, uh, forgive sins, to offer sacrifice, and so forth. And for years uh, after its promulgation in uh, 1989, the old Pauline version was being used, uh, but in translation in most places, and it probably still is. Michael Davies argues very well how those rites for ordination, even those after the council, are all valid, thus making this book very interesting, very useful. As a matter of fact, there's a good appendix on the substance of sacraments uh, in the back and what the church can and cannot change concerning their matter and their form. Uh, and we could, matter of fact, let's hear, hear from that appendix. I'm just going to read some of this from Michael Davies' book, The Order of Melchizedek. And as you listen, you might just think about how this all pertains to the church's authority to make changes to the rites of Holy Mass. Now, in no way do we have to admit that changes made to good, venerable, old traditional rites are good changes. We don't have to admit that they ought to have been made. Matter of fact, we could argue that they shouldn't have been made. But what you can hear is an argument about how the changes that were made do not affect the validity of the sacraments. And that's really important. 
we can accept that the changes to the rights of ordination that made uh, made to the old right, the changes after the council made that ordination right inferior to that of the old preconciliar ordinal, but its superior, the older right's superiority does not make the newer ordinal invalid. And we can say that the same thing for the other rights for our sacraments. So without any other delay, let's listen to what the late Michael Davies has to say about the substance of sacraments. This is in an appendix to his book, The Order of Melchizedek, A Defense of the Catholic Priesthood. Appendix 1. The Substance of a Sacrament The Catechism of the Council of Trent, following St. Augustine and St. Thomas, emphasizes the nature of the seven sacraments as sacred signs, but signs which possess by divine institution the power to effect what they signify. They are, as the Penny Catechism explains, outward signs of inward grace. The outward sign of the sacrament can be discerned by the senses. It is a sensible sign. This sensible aspect of the sacrament constitutes but one sign, although this sign has two constituent parts. The matter, which is called the element, and the form, which is commonly called the word. In order to bring the sacrament to completion, a third element is necessary the minister of the sacrament, who effects it with the intention of doing what the church does. All three things are essential, quote, and if any one of these three is lacking, the sacrament is not effected, quote. Denziger, 695. The Council of Trent declares that the church has always possessed the power, in the dispensation or administration of the sacraments, to determine or to change those things which she judges to be more expedient for those receiving them, or for the reverence due to the sacraments themselves, according to the circumstances of time and place. An exception is made with regard to the substance of a sacrament, which the church has no power to alter salva illorum substantia, provided their substance is retained. Denziger, 93, 1. The question immediately arises as to what belongs to the substance of a particular sacrament, and the answer will depend upon whether our Lord instituted it generically, in genere, or specifically, in specie. In the former case, he left it to the supreme authority of his church to decide the particular signs which should signify and effect the sacramental grace. Where Christ instituted the sacrament in specie, as regards either matter or form, the church has no power to change them. The Lord chose water for the matter of baptism, and bread and wine for the matter of the Holy Eucharist nothing else can ever be admitted. But even here the Church enjoys a certain latitude in fixing the precise nature of the matter. Where bread for the Holy Eucharist is concerned, priests of the Latin rite are bound to use unleavened bread, 
just as our Lord did at the Last Supper. But there are other rites, Union and Orthodox, in which leavened bread is used, and the Church recognizes this as equally valid. The Pope possesses the legal power to impose the use of unleavened bread upon the Eastern rites, or of leavened bread upon the Latin Church. But until the reforms of Vatican II, it had always been the Catholic custom to hold fast to the traditions which have been handed down, liturgical traditions in particular, and never to change them even in minor matters without a compelling reason for doing so. With regard to the form of a sacrament, some Catholics have mistakenly identified the form itself with a particular formula employed by the Church to express it, and have concluded that this formula cannot be changed without invalidating the sacrament. Hence, they have fallen into the error of believing that the Church has no power to make changes in the matter and form of any sacrament, having mistakenly identified the matter and form in current usage with the substance of the sacraments themselves, which Trent taught could not be changed. The view that the Church can make no change in the matter and form of any sacrament is historically indefensible. Quote, the custom of the Church in different ages and countries shows that the form is not fixed in its particular words. Close quote. The Armenian decree of the Council of Florence, 1439, is sometimes cited in defense of the view that the Church cannot change the form of a sacrament. Denziger, 695-702 Apart from anything else, this decree is not an infallible pronouncement. The Council was not teaching the whole Church, but only the Armenians, and it was simply setting forth for their benefit an authoritative interpretation of the sacramental rites which they were to accept and implement. The decree sets out sacramental forms which they are to use, it does not preclude the possibility of the Church modifying those forms without changing their essential meaning. Indeed, the Council of Florence clearly held that the Church has the power, within certain limits, to alter the matter and form of some of the sacraments. For example, after stating that the form for baptism is, quote, I baptize thee in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, close quote, it adds, quote, But we do not deny that true baptism is given by the words, This servant of Christ, name, is baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Close quote. The Council gave no explicit teaching on the extent of the Church's power to alter the matter and form of the sacraments, but in justifying the variant forms of baptism, it clearly assumes that all permissible forms will be substantially identical in meaning. The Sacrament of Order provides a clear example of the Church revising her teaching on what constitutes the matter and form of a particular sacrament. The Decree to the Armenians states, quote, its matter is that by the giving of which the order is conferred. Thus the priesthood is conferred by the giving of a chalice with 
wine and a paten with bread. The form of the priesthood is as follows, quote, Receive power to offer sacrifice in the church for the living and the dead, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Denziger, 701. Close quotes. The matter in this case is the act of handing over, or tradition, traditio, of the instruments. The imposition of hands by the ordaining bishop had been the matter of the sacrament in apostolic times, and this practice has been retained as the sole matter down to the present day by all the Eastern rites, with the exception of the Armenians. The Latin rite itself did not possess the ceremony of the tradition until the tenth century, and until that time the imposition of hands constituted the matter in the Western as well as the Eastern Church. But from that time the ordination rites in the Latin Church were expanded and developed by the addition of other significant ceremonies, which both enhanced the solemnity of the occasion and also brought out the sacramental symbolism more clearly. Quote, so, throughout the history of the development of the sacramental liturgy, the tendency has always been towards growth, additions and accretions, the effort to obtain a fuller, more perfect, more clearly significant symbolism. Thus, many beautiful and highly appropriate ceremonies have from time to time been added to the ordinals in use in various parts of the church, but nothing has been discarded, and, notably, the imposition of hands holds in every one of them the same position, and has the same significance and import that it ever held and possessed. The ceremony of the tradition consisted of the handing over to the candidate of those things used in the exercise of the order in question, namely, the chalice containing wine and the paten with bread for the priesthood, and the book of the Gospels for the diaconate, together with a form of words signifying the power conferred by ordination. By the thirteenth century, the tradition of the instruments had been universally adopted throughout the Latin Church, so much so that the scholastics began to teach that this tradition of the instruments, with the respective form of words, belonged to the sacramental matter and form. This was indeed the opinion of St. Thomas Aquinas. Pope Eugenius IV cited his very words in instructing the Armenians. Denziger, 701. It is not necessary to study in detail the long and complex theological disputes which took place on this question. The obvious problem was that, if the tradition of the instruments was necessary for validity, what of all the ordinations which had taken place in the centuries prior to its introduction, and of those in the Eastern rites, where there was no tradition? Pope Pius XII settled the matter in his constitution Sacramentum Ordinis of 30 November 1947, Denziger, 2301. He decreed that the sole matter of the sacrament is the imposition of hands, and the sole form consists of the words of the preface of the rite, the essential words being, quote, Grant, we beseech thee, Almighty Father, to this thy servant, the dignity of the priesthood, 
renew the spirit of holiness within him, that he may hold from thee, O God, the second rank in thy service, and by the example of his behavior afford a pattern of holy living. Pope Pius XII thus taught conclusively that the tradition of the instruments is not necessary for validity, but he did not pronounce on whether it had been necessary for validity within the Latin rites up to the promulgation of Sacramento Mordinis. He contented himself with observing that, quote, if at any time the delivery of the instruments has, by the will and enactment of the Church, been necessary even for validity, everybody knows that what the Church has once ordained she can change and abrogate, close quote. This final comment refers, of course, to those aspects of the administration of the sacraments over which the Church does have power, and not to the substance of the sacraments, which can never be changed. Pope Pius XII made no change in the rite of ordination itself, in which the tradition of the instruments was retained. In this respect, it is worth noting that the essential form as laid down by the Pope simply states that the candidate has been admitted to the dignity of the priesthood. It does not state in specific terms, expressis verbis, what powers have been conferred upon the priest, just as the essential form in other sacraments does not always state their specific effects. For example, the form of baptism does not state specifically that the candidate has been cleansed from the stain of original sin, However, the powers conferred upon a priest and the effects of baptism are signified specifically in the other parts of the traditional rites. Thus, the form itself can derive its signification from the other parts of the rite into which it is incorporated. Pope Leo XIII explained that the Anglican ordinal did contain certain words which might conceivably, quote, be held to suffice in a Catholic rite, which the Church had approved. It is possible to find ancient ordination rites whose validity the Church does not contest, in which the intention of ordaining a sacrificing priest is made explicit neither in the essential form nor anywhere else in the rite. The fact that these powers are nowhere mentioned expressis verbis has no bearing on the validity of the rite. As was explained above, the history of sacramental theology is a history of development towards a fuller and more significant symbolism. There is no parallel at all between a primitive rite which had not developed to the point of clearly signifying its effects, and a rite such as that of the Anglican ordinal, in which such developments had been deliberately discarded to manifest a rejection of Catholic teaching. As St. Thomas Aquinas explains, additions or suppressions which change a rite from that which is recognized by the Church indicate an intention other than that of the Church, and hence lead to invalidity. Where the essential form, the operative formula of a sacramental rite, does not expressly mention the power and grace conferred by a sacrament, but this power and grace is signified in other parts of the rite, this form of signification is termed determinatio ex adjunctis. 
Father Francis Clark explains that, quote, The sacramental signification of an ordination rite is not necessarily limited to one phrase or formula, but can be clearly conveyed from many different parts of the rite. These other parts could thus contribute, either individually or in combination, to determining the sacramental meaning of the operative formula in an unambiguous sense. Thus, the wording of an ordination form, even if not specifically determinate in itself, can be given the required determination from its setting, ex adjunctis, that is, from the other prayers and actions of the rite, or even from the connotation of the ceremony as a whole in the religious context of the age. All valid sacraments are sacraments of the Catholic Church, and sacramental rites composed by separated Christians can be valid only in so far as their matter and form suffice to confect the Catholic sacrament. Quote, the only formulae that infallibly and necessarily contain the essential significance of a sacrament are those which have been canonized by being instituted by Christ and his church for that purpose. Such words, when exactly reproduced, are removed beyond the reach of ambiguity or private distortion. Thus, for example, the formula for baptism and the words of consecration in the Eucharist are always and necessarily a sufficient sacramental form, even if included in a rite of obvious heretical purport. However, validity could still be nullified by defective matter or ministerial intention. But where a form and matter not specified by our Lord are involved, the presumption of validity is considerably lessened. The one true Church alone can pronounce on its validity, and can do so with certainty, quote, a certainty based on the practical infallibility of the Church's determining decrees, which in the sacramental sphere effectively guarantee what they declare. Close quote. Thus, the very fact that the Church declares a right to be valid or invalid is proof that this is the case. That was an appendix on the substance of sacraments from the Order of Melchizedek by the late Michael Davies. Uh, I knew Michael Davies a little bit. Uh, for years, uh, he would visit the offices of the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei, where I once worked. And uh, being an English speaker, I would talk to him there. And a few times, I actually had lunch with him. He was a wonderful fellow. Michael Davies, he was a school teacher from Kent in England. And he made it his life's work to defend the older form of Mass and to promote it and to talk about authentic catechism and so forth. He, he was a, a zealous advocate for uh, traditional Catholic teaching and traditional Catholic worship. And I remember him to have been a very cordial and very reasonable fellow. Uh, you could argue with Michael Davies, and if uh, he, your arguments were good, 
uh, you could, could convince him, and he would shift his position a little bit, which I thought was uh, showed great integrity and a des- real desire to know the truth. The truth was above his own opinions or his own scholarship. Uh, he was a real gentleman, and though he wasn't uh, maybe highly academically trained scholar of liturgy, uh, his interest in the truth really drove him to produce some very good and well-researched books. And last September, uh, when I went to England to assist at the celebrations in honor of Benedict XVI's Motu Proprio Summorum Pontificum, uh, going into effect on the, the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, I went with uh, the great Father Tim Finnegan of the blog The Hermeneutic of Continuity over to the Catholic parish at Chislehurst, where Father Charles Briggs is pastor. And there I visited the grave of uh, the late Mr. Michael Davies and remembered him with great respect. And I said my prayers for him, and I'd ask you to say a prayer for him as well. He was a real champion of many things that uh, I'm sure listeners to this podcast are very dedicated to and love very much. So, requiescat in pace, Mr. Michael Davies, and thank you for what you did. that i'm going to wrap up this podcast uh be sure to come over and visit us at the what does the prayer really say blog and also be sure to vote for wdtprs on the catholic blog awards this year the voting is open even as i speak and then you can get more information about that uh voting process on the WDTPRS blog itself. That's Whiskey Delta Tango, Papa Romeo Sierra.com. What does the prayer really say? I appreciate all of your voicemail and your attention to these audio projects. I thank you very much for your support and uh, appreciate all that you do, both on the blog and uh, remembering me kindly with uh, donations and sending little things from my Amazon wish list and so forth. You, you people have come to mean a great deal to me. So, next time, until next time, this is Father Z signing off. Pray for me as I will for sure for you. It was good for Dad Daily. It was good for Dad Daily. It was good for Dad Daily.